Hey everybody, I wanted to do something a little bit different with this video. This is not a normal Bible teaching message. This is something much more informal. I wanted to address the fact that if you haven't noticed, there's a whole lot going on in the world right now. And as I read um, what Christians are posting on social media and I listen to questions, there's, there's so much confusion still. There's so many conspiracy theories out there. There's so much that we know is going on but we can't quite decode, we can't quite make sense of. And so I wanted to make a video that I hope will be helpful to you as you take a look at the world around you and seek to understand biblically what's going on. Now, I want to be very clear, this is, this is not a Bible study. Again, these are some of my own personal insights, thoughts, and opinions and views based on what I see but looking with eyes that have spent a lot of time studying eschatology, a lot of time studying biblical prophecy. So with everything I teach, as we often say, don't believe it because I say it. Check for yourself. You pray, you discern, you get into the scriptures, and you come to your own conclusions. But I can tell you this, this video is going to give you some very very interesting things to talk about with your friends and your brothers and sisters in the Lord and your small group. So let's talk about conspiracies. Let's talk about what is going on in the world right now. And when I thought about things to cover, the very first thing that you need to understand as a Christian is that Satan is running the show on earth right now. Let me say that again. Satan is running the show on the earth right now. When the Lord created man and woman, he created Adam and Eve, he gave them, he gave Adam what was essentially the title deed of the earth. He gave Adam rule and charge over the earth to steward the earth. Adam had that authority. However, when Adam and Eve sinned, they transferred, they gave up that title deed to Satan. And Satan held the deed to the earth and had authority over the earth. When Jesus came to the earth, died and rose again, at the resurrection, he took back that title deed from Satan. Jesus now holds it. However, Jesus has not yet cashed it in, so to speak. He holds it, but the scroll has not been opened yet. The title deed has not been opened yet because as soon as Jesus reclaims the earth, the opportunity for people to join the family of God, the opportunity for people to be saved will be over. That door will close. The apostle Peter puts it like this. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. He's patient toward us. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Jesus is not yet cashing in that title deed to the earth because he wants to give more time for people to turn to him and be saved. So for now, even though he doesn't hold the title deed, Satan is still running the show on earth. And if you've never heard this before, you're probably thinking, where's that in the Bible, Jeff? That doesn't seem very biblical. Well, it's in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which record the famous temptation of Christ. Perhaps you recall the interaction from Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. It says, Then the devil, taking him, that's Jesus, up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. 
And the devil said to him, to Jesus, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this, listen to me, this is what Satan says to Jesus. He says, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus doesn't say, don't be ridiculous, Satan. You don't own the world. You can't make that offer. I already own it anyway. Your offer is meaningless. He doesn't do that. Jesus responds to Satan's offer seriously because it's a serious, legitimate offer because at that moment in time, Satan did indeed own the kingdoms of the world. In John 14, 30, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. John the Apostle declares, long after Jesus returns to heaven, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And in 2 Corinthians 4.4, again, long after the resurrection, our brother Paul speaks about those whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age. And here's what that means in terms of the world's power structure. I want you to imagine this. We'll use some, some really nice conspiratorial imagery, okay? We'll, we'll imagine a pyramid. And then just the way it is on the American $1 bill, imagine the top of the pyramid, the cap of the pyramid, separated from the rest of the pyramid. And we'll say that this pyramid represents the world's power structure. And however you view the world, we all understand that at some point there is a top to the pyramid. There is a group of people who make the biggest decisions on earth, who, who are calling the shots in earthly politics and industry and things like this. And so, and so whatever you believe, let, let's call that group at the very top the elite. Now, if you don't believe in conspiracies at all, that, then you believe that these are essentially just heads of state. That's as high as the power structure on earth gets. That's fine. That's cool. If that's what you believe, that's who is at that level. They're part of what we'll call the elite. If you believe in conspiracies at this level, at the top elite level, then, uh, then let me show off my conspiratorial bona fides here a little bit. If you believe that's the Illuminati, the Bilderbergers, the Trilateral Commission, the UN, the Deep State, the World Economic Forum that gathers in Davos, the world banking families, the Merovingian bloodline, the lizard people, whatever you think, whatever you buy into, you believe that they're at the top and they're part of the elite. What the Bible tells us is that whoever those people are, above them is actually another level. That's not where the power structure ends. You get to the top of the pyramid that's not where the power structure ends. You have to cross over into the spiritual world to get to the next level because at the next level, above those people is Satan, the God of this age, the one who holds the world system under his sway. That is what the Bible teaches, that Satan is ultimately at the top of the world's power structure. And so the people at that elite level whether they realize it or not, are ultimately under the influence of Satan. We need to understand that according to the Bible, anyone who does not belong to Jesus is under the influence of Satan. They are susceptible to being used by him for his purposes. That's scriptural. That's biblical. 
But Satan is currently restrained to a degree. There's a reason that that, that's not just total hell. Satan is restrained to a degree by the physical presence of the church on the earth because the church made up of men and women is full of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere there's a Christian, the Holy Spirit is there. And so the Holy Spirit is all over the earth inside believers. And in Acts chapter 2, when God gave the Holy Spirit to the church, the church was deputized, so to speak, by Jesus to resist Satan's schemes on the earth. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.7, it all comes together as the Apostle Paul declares, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And ultimately in that verse, when we're talking about he who now restrains, we're talking about the fact that Jesus has placed the church on the earth. And so the question becomes, is there a coming time when that restraining force of the church, is there a coming time when scripture says that that restraining force of the church is going to be removed from the earth so that lawlessness will no longer be restrained? Yes, there is. At the moment of the rapture, the church will be removed from the earth. And the restraining presence of the Holy Spirit in believers across the world will suddenly be dramatically diminished and Satan will not be restrained the way he is right now in this church age. That is why the rapture will be shortly followed by the rise of Antichrist. It will only be possible when the restraining force of the church is removed from the earth. And so what I want, what I really want us to understand is is the implication of Paul's phrase, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. What Paul is saying is that Satan has been trying to lay plans for a very, very long time. Even when Paul was writing this in the first century, he was saying Satan is already at work, trying to work his plans that will facilitate the rise of Antichrist when he has opportunity. He's been working on that for a long time. Now, the church is not going to be on the earth when Antichrist rises to the fore. Paul tells us that in Thessalonians. But we will be here for many of the preparations that will precede the emergence of Antichrist. And we will likely be able to see and recognize and identify some of those preparations. I heard one pastor put it this way. He said, you know that when you see Christmas decorations in Costco, it's almost time for Thanksgiving. Here's the idea. When we see preparations for Antichrist being established and made across the earth, we know that the rapture is almost here. That's the the biblical side of things. And now I really want to share with you some of my my own personal observations about what's going on in the world right now. As as I said, I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord. That is a very serious thing to say, and I'm, I'm not saying that. These are just my observations. You can consider them for what they're worth, but I hope they'll be helpful to you. I believe that Satan is a globalist. 
If you don't know what a globalist is, a globalist is someone who has a political and sociological philosophy that the whole world should essentially be one community. They're in favor of things like open borders, essentially a one world system of governance, a one world currency, so that the whole world can be one true global community. That's what a globalist is. We don't need to have individual identities as countries. We need one global identity. And I believe that Satan is a globalist for one simple reason. He wants to unite the world, the world system that he is currently ruling over. He wants to unite the world in rebellion against God. And the interesting thing is that in Satanism and in the Satanic Bible, and in the writings of lead Satanists like Aleister Crowley, you find that Satanism isn't really about worshiping Satan. Satanism is about worshiping yourself. Do what thou wilt. This shall be the whole of the law. That is satanic theology in a nutshell. It's about finding the God in you and learning to live out your desires so that you are God. That is the essence of Satanism because that is the essence of Satan. It's what got him thrown out of heaven. His desire to be God himself, to be equal with God. And I believe that Satan truly desires globalism grab a hold of our planet so that the whole world can be united in secular humanism, the exaltation of self and the rejection of God. And I say this because firstly, in the Garden of Eden, th this was his appeal to Eve, wasn't it? Eat of the fruit, then you will be what? Like God. But even more compelling, when the world's first civilization begins to emerge in Mesopotamia, in Babylon specifically, Satan stirs up the first antichrist, Nimrod, to attempt to lead all of human civilization in the pursuit of self, this secular humanism, this paganism, but that's really about the worship of self. He says, let us build a tower, the Tower of Babel. And his whole idea was, let's unite the world in the pursuit of self and the rejection of God. And if you know the story, then you know what happens. In Genesis 11, God comes down and he confuses the speech of people by creating different languages and different ethnic groups, and they're scattered across the world. But do you remember what Nimrod tried to do? When all the world was living together in the same place, when they were all one community, Scripture says that the people got together and said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. It all sounds so wonderful, doesn't it? We can reach our human potential. Let's be united. Let's move into a new age of, of enlightenment, a new age of fulfilling ourselves. But then God comes down and he breaks all that up because at the center of it is this satanic philosophy of self-exaltation and turning the self into God. And ever since then, I believe that Satan has been waiting for the time when he could once again rally humanity together under one leadership in the pursuit of this humanist philosophy. The problem is people have been scattered and Satan's plans have been hindered. But this is why we saw the League of Nations as soon as Satan could do that. Then it was followed by the UN when he could do that. Then by the EU. Satan was always doing the best he can to build a globalist society with what he had available. But what Satan has really been waiting for and needing is technology. 
Satan has been waiting for international travel to become the norm. He's been waiting for more trade alliances between countries. He's been waiting for a worldwide system where you could disseminate information and mislead the entire population of the world by controlling the information that they receive. He's been waiting on the internet. He's been waiting for mass surveillance to be possible. He's been waiting for communication to increase. He's been waiting ever since Babel for the infrastructure to truly implement globalism yet again and try and turn the whole world into what he tried to make Babylon in Genesis 11. And in case you're not picking up on what I'm putting down, I think his wait is over. The wait is over. And so now the question really becomes, if you're Satan, well, how do you get the world to buy into globalism? How do you get the world to buy into the idea of becoming one, of giving up personal identity, national identity, personal individual freedoms, going to a one world currency? How do you you get people to give this stuff up? I mean, some, some countries that would be easy because third world countries, you're only offering them the potential of something better. But first world countries, nationalistic first world countries that have an independence streak, well, well, they're a real problem because they value personal freedom and personal freedom is antithetical to globalism. So, so what do you do? You have to attack the concept of nationalism and that's really what we've seen in the media over the past few years, haven't we? We've seen this rhetoric develop where, where if you're a nationalist, then you're a Nazi. If you're concerned about your personal freedoms, then you're, then you're a nut job. This is the emerging narrative, but it's still not enough. We see that in America right now, don't we? You know, 50% of the population still hasn't bought into that idea of becoming essentially a more socialist state. And so not everybody's on board with the idea. And, and, and the problem is, in some of these countries, you can't just take everybody's rights because they might rebel. Could be a real problem. And, and, and what you're doing suddenly has to become revealed as being brutal rather than enlightened. So you can't just take everybody's rights and freedoms. You have to make them give them to you. Now, how in the world do you do that? How do you make people who value individual rights and freedoms give you their rights and freedoms. It's really not that difficult. It's been done in history over and over and over again. And we saw it happen after 9-11, didn't we? When even those who value freedom were willingly giving it away because they were scared. And they were offered the promise of safety in return. You see, that's how you do it. If you can create fear, and then offer security in exchange for freedom, most people will take that deal all day, every day. That's what happened with the Patriot Act after 9-11, and things like intimate body searches became the standard protocol at airports. We gotta do it, gotta stop the terrorists. Well, I'm scared, so I'll let you invade my personal body space. The Patriot Act led to things like mass surveillance on citizens which was later exposed by people like Edward Snowden. People were scared. They said, go ahead and do it. Just keep us safe. Now hang with me because I'm going somewhere with this. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul is writing specifically about the day of the Lord. 
It's a term that applies to the whole coming season when God will judge the earth, including the tribulation. And here's what Paul says about that time. Listen to this. Paul says, for when they say, peace and safety, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Paul tells us that the rapture and the tribulation and the rise of Antichrist, that whole day of the Lord, is all going to unfold in a time when people are crying out for what? Peace and safety. And I think that's because this global system of governance, this infrastructure out of which Antichrist will emerge, can only be implemented and created when there's an atmosphere of fear where people are crying out, peace and safety, give us peace and safety. And I suspect their fear is what will be used to create this new version of the world. Now keep following me down this train of thought. If the goal is to create global governance, if that's the goal, and if the way to get there is by creating fear that makes people willing to give up their rights because people are crying out for peace and safety, then the fears that you create, the fears that people have, will need to be global in nature. They will need to be existential threats. Are you tracking with me? If you want to bring the whole world under global governance, you have to create fear on a global level. And when I look at the world, I can't help but notice, and I have for a few years now, that we have three major existential threats that are all global in nature and are all being pushed in our faces at the same time. The obvious one right now is COVID-19. The second is climate change. And the third is the imminent global debt crisis. Now, I'm not going to get into details about any of those, but I hope what's obvious is that none of those things are conspiracy theories. You can Google any of them. They're well-established. They're very real. They're being discussed in all the mainstream circles. But what I want you to picture in your mind right now is a Venn diagram that has those three circles that overlap in one place. And each of these circles represents one of these three things. You've got three circles. You've got COVID-19, you've got climate change, and you've got the global debt crisis. And where they overlap is where they all create existential fear for the whole world. And the question, of course, is, is what is their purpose? What is the ultimate purpose of all this fear? And I believe it's to create a world system that will facilitate the rise of Antichrist in the very near future. But to bring it down, how are we going to get there? We're going to create a more globalist society across the world. That's what all of this is for. It's to create the fear that will overlap and create enough fear that people will be willing to accept a new version of the world, the world's economy, the world's industry, the world's civil liberties, the world's borders, all of these things. Now, all of these things are, are real, but there's something very interesting about each of them. You, you see, the debt crisis has been known to be coming for decades. It's not something that emerged out of the blue and we're like, whoa, we blinked and suddenly the whole world's in debt. The world economic system since the early 20th century has been on course 
to get us to where we are right now, a situation where the world is unsustainably in debt, where countries are trillions of dollars in debt in holes so deep they cannot possibly dig themselves out. We've known for a very long time this is where this is going, and no country has changed course. Why is that? Why is that? And then we get to climate change and COVID-19, both real things, but both quite simply extremely inflated and extremely exaggerated and constantly pushed in our faces. There's a reason why Al Gore can make entire documentaries like An Inconvenient Truth where every single prediction fails to come true and yet he's still considered an authority to speak on the subject of climate change. There's a reason why people just ignore facts like the environmental damage caused by producing the batteries for electric cars and the environmental damage caused by disposing those same batteries when they die out in seven to ten years. There's a reason why nobody wants to look at that information. It's because there's something bigger. There's an influence behind the scenes driving all of these things. And when you get to countries that have a more independent streak, there's even smaller circles in this Venn diagram. Things like racial issues and police shootings, all these things, they all overlap to create fear and to create the impression that the whole world is in imminent danger and it's falling apart and something has to change now. That's where they all overlap. And what's very interesting is that we now seem to know specifically what is in those overlapping areas. Yes, we know it's to set up the infrastructure for the emergence of Antichrist, but I would suggest how we're going to do that is actually out in the open now. If you haven't heard, it's called the Great Reset. It's called United Nations Agenda 2030. And please understand, these are not things spoken about in whispers. These are terms being spoken about by heads of state publicly right now. You can go onto the World Economic Forum's website and read the entire proposal for the Great Reset. You can go onto the United Nations website and read about United Nations Agenda 2030 and the 230-something parts of that proposal. These are not conspiracy theories. These are absolute facts out in the open for anyone to read being pushed by heads of state simultaneously because these overlapping existential global threats are all creating fear, and this feeling that things need to change right now, and this is what's being proposed to bring about those changes. The Great Reset and United Nations Agenda 2030. And together they envision a massive restructuring of the global community, economically, socially, and politically. As I mentioned, these are wide out in the open. You can go check them out for yourself. And, and I'm sharing this video because I don't want to just add to the noise. I don't want to just do a, a new update on who we think the Antichrist could be every week. I don't, I don't want to add to the noise or the panic. But I'm doing this video because I think it could be helpful. And I think that these things are potentially imminent. I think we're going to see a lot of movement on these specific issues next year in 2021. And I'm sharing this because as Christians, we need to know how we should respond to all of this. Firstly, we need to not get angry at people. We need to not get angry at people. L listen, the idea that your local health authorities are knowingly part of a grand conspiracy is simply ridiculous. There's too many people involved for that to be kept secret. You can't run a conspiracy with that many people. But as we talked about earlier, anyone who does not belong to the kingdom of God, who's not saved, is susceptible to the influence of Satan. 
And so Satan is able to make things like closing churches but keeping bars open. He's able to make that make sense in the mind of local and national and international health authorities. He's able to make it seem like a good and considerate, compassionate, logical, scientific idea. This is why Paul told us to remember that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Don't get mad at people. Don't rage on social media. And listen, if you're concerned enough to speak out, then you should be concerned enough to pray because your prayers are gonna make a whole lot more difference than ranting on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram ever is. There's also no point ranting at people. There's no point. And by the way, Paul's commands to honor and pray for our leaders still apply. We may not be able to always obey our leaders, but we're still required by scripture and by the Lord to pray for them and to honor them and to watch the way that we speak about them publicly. You know, I see a lot of churches and pastors who are talking about how the church needs to not meet. We need to not gather because it could damage the church's reputation in the community. And we need to keep our neighbors healthy. Listen, those are good things. They're good things, okay? They really are. But they're not the most important thing. The most important thing is to remember that the church, we've got to be so clear about this, The church does not exist first and foremost for us. Most of us are clear on that, but I'm going to say something now where the church is very confused much of the time. Neither does the church exist first and foremost for our community. Do you understand that? The church does not exist first and foremost for the lost. The church exists first and foremost for Jesus The church is the bride of Christ. That is the identity of the church. And so as the church navigates these times, there are a lot of questions we should ask, but the one at the top, and we should not be confused about this, the one at the top, the most important question is, what does Jesus want us to do? What does he want us to do? in our daily situation, in our corporate gatherings, in response to restrictions? What does Jesus want us to do? The first question is not, what does our community think we should do? The first question is not, what do our health authorities say we should do? The first question is not even, what's best for my health? You want to know what's not good for your health? Gathering as the church in a country where being a Christian will get you murdered where it's a capital offense, that's bad for your health. And yet this weekend, Christians all over the world in places where they could be killed for loving Jesus will gather together as the church, even though they are risking their health in a far more serious way than we ever will with COVID-19. The question is not, what does our community think? What do health authorities say we should do? What's best for our health? Those are all questions that yes, we should consider. But above all of them, above all of them, is the question, what does Jesus want us to do? And that will be the question tomorrow, next week, next month, 10 years from now, if the Lord tarries. That is the question. How do we discern the answer? We stay in the word of God. We pray. We fast. We do our best to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit and 
And I need to let you know, Christian, that in the days ahead, what God will ask you to do will probably not line up with what you want to do. If you have a very independent and contrarian streak, as I do, you may find that Jesus is going to ask you to comply and obey civil orders much more than you would like you to. You might find that Jesus will tell you, no, you need to stay home. You need to meet online for several months. You might not like it, but that may be what Jesus will ask you to do. If you're conflict averse and you care deeply about being at peace with everybody, listen, you may find Jesus asking you to engage in civil disobedience much more than you would ever like. But here's the big thing I want us to remember. When the church is making decisions, corporately and individually and as families, what Jesus wants is at the top of the list. Always. No matter what. No matter what. Christian, we need to also understand that the rapture is God's promise to remove his church before he pours out his wrath upon the earth. The rapture is not God's promise to remove his church before the Constitution gets shredded or the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is radically revised or before society takes a significantly darker turn in terms of civil liberties. God doesn't say, I'm going to rapture my church before your country embraces communism under another name. It's not what the Bible says. Do you know that living in a time and place where Christians are not persecuted is a historical exception in the church age? As always, every Christian needs to be ready to live for Jesus, to preach Jesus, to go to prison for Jesus, to suffer for Jesus, and to die for Jesus. The rapture is not to deliver the church from persecution. It's to deliver the church from the wrath of God. Jeff, this is some scary stuff. Here's what Jesus told his disciples when he was talking to them about the difficult days that would lie ahead for his followers. Jesus said, see that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass. All these things must come to pass. Over and over again in scripture, the command, not the suggestion, the command appears, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Why? Because Jesus also said, I'm with you always. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I talked about that diagram earlier with the pyramid where you have the elite at the top and the dividing line into the spiritual world and then Satan above them. But, but don't ever forget, man, there's someone else even higher. Over everything is Jesus. Over everything is Jesus. And listen, there's an elite class in the world that is playing chess while the rest of us are playing checkers. Satan's playing on a level above them. But listen, Jesus, Jesus is working things on a level we can't even fathom. Everybody thinks they're making their own choices, but the Bible says man makes his plans, but the will of the Lord prevails. What Jesus has written about biblical prophecy is not a plan. It's not a prediction he hopes will come true. It is future history. Not one word 
that the Lord has spoken will fail to come to pass. His word will never return void. What he has spoken will happen with absolute certainty and the final chapter of the earth and the ages to come are already written. You can read about them in the word of God. The ending is certain. Church, we are getting so close. We're getting so close. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. No matter what happens, we belong to Jesus. We live for Jesus. If you're not doing that, get serious about the Lord. Get serious about the Lord. Make up your mind now. Make the decision now that you're following him no matter what, no matter where it leads. Because the king is coming and he's coming soon. God bless. Hey, thanks for being with us for this study. Before you go, I want to invite you to our online services. They're updated every Monday afternoon, but you can stream them all week on Facebook, YouTube, and our website at mynewhope.ca slash online. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to mynewhope.ca slash gospel right now. You'll find a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing, so go there right now. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through His Word. If you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website at mynewhope.ca slash give. And finally, we want to invite you to follow our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mynewhope.ca for all the latest updates and encouragements throughout the week. We love you, Uppercase C Church. Be blessed.